Hey everybody, I'm Jana Karika, and you're listening to the Barefoot Courage Podcast. We're on a mission to find and share the life stories and biblical insights that will embolden you to walk with courage and joy through whatever hard thing you're facing. We're gonna look for the kind of faith that eclipses fear, the kind of courage that it takes to stand steady when the whole world seems to be going sideways. When you're pressed into hard places or uncertain times, you need a hope that is stronger than statistics, an anchor that's more reliable than human wisdom. Let's find it together in the presence of God. That's where Barefoot Courage is born. Hey you guys, this is episode four and this is my first time to have a guest join me and I just know that you are going to love her like I do. You're getting ready to meet Stephanie Cole, who is a worship leader. And I say that like in its truest meaning. She doesn't just have a beautiful voice. She has a love for Jesus that comes through so that those who are worshiping with her aren't just being led in song, but they're being led into just a deeper awareness of God's presence. I met Stephanie as soon as she and her husband, Troy, moved up here five years ago from uh, to DFW from San Antonio. She joined our Bible study, and she's been leading us in worship ever since. And over these years, I've come to know Stephanie as a woman who really does look at the world through the filter of God's Word. She walks out her faith transparently, like even in the hard places. I I should probably say maybe even especially in the hard places. Stephanie and Troy are the proud parents of six really cool kids. They homeschool. Um, They are involved in a million different things, horseback riding and football and all the stuff. And not only have they made serving in their local church a priority for their family, but they arrange their lives in order to bring Christ to the community around them in, in just really genuine ways. They have poured out love through adoption. They have invested in regular personal relationship with refugees in our area. And they have made just plain old getting to know and love the people in their neighborhood, which you and I know is getting to be a lost art in today's culture. They have just made that a natural part of the rhythm of their lives. Stephanie is a Texan through and through, and she's also a bit of a natural comedian. So whenever she's around, I find myself laughing a lot. But the conversation that you're going to hear today took a more serious note. I asked her to come on and talk about some of the the hard things that have pressed her over the years and what carried her through those seasons. I think you're going to love hearing from her because she's one of those people that's just a sweet balance between being a really deep thinker and yet still using language that is just so relatable. So you're going to hear the story of the last days that she spent with a dear friend who she lost to cancer, followed just a few months later by cancer diagnoses for two of the women who were closest to her heart. And all of that happened before she had even turned 25 years old. But she also shares her heart on the ways that the Lord built her young faith so that she would have the strength of hope that would be required to raise her own sweet family, including the challenges of adoption and a health crisis right in her own home. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. And a word of warning, 
the first few seconds of this audio is a little bit obnoxious, but I promise you it settles down. We were jumping right into the middle of one of those moments where Stephanie was making me laugh and she kind of needed to because we were just sitting there and I was trying to figure out how to start the conversation. I mean, because we weren't really just starting the conversation. She'd already been sitting at my kitchen table for like 45 minutes. And now I wasn't sure, like when we hit record, am I supposed to say, hi, Stephanie, or thanks for being here, Stephanie, or whatever was coming out of my mouth sounded completely contrived in my own ears. And so um, I told y'all I'm new at this. This was my first one. Um, And so we were just kind of sitting there staring at each other for a minute um, while I was thinking. And Stephanie, without uttering a word, looks at me as if to say, "Um, love you, but you might be overthinking this. And I silently responded with eyebrows that said, I am aware and I don't know how to stop it. At which point she just burst into laughter. And I mean like lay your head down on the table and laugh kind of laughter, which is totally contagious and broke me out of my, you know, whole paralysis thing. And in a moment of, well, here we go, I pressed record and here's what we got. So have a listen. I'm so glad that you are sitting across the table for me because I cannot imagine doing this without you. This is my first time to actually talk on the other side of a microphone with somebody. It's, and it's it's a it's a different experience <laughs> to just talk to your friend with a big mic in front of you. I know. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna first forget that that's there. Absolutely. And I'm gonna share with you some of the richest conversations that I have had over the last five years mm-hmm. have been with you. That's when you moved up here. Yep. And I was yeah I was praying at the time for a worship leader to come for our Bible study, and you showed up. And you were crazy because you didn't even know if I could sing. You didn't know if I could even hum or whistle or (laughs) anything. Right, but I'm just saying it was a gamble that paid off. Well, thank you. Okay, friend. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on as one of the very first talks on Barefoot Courage is because during a retreat, I had just finished cancer treatment, Mm -hmm. and you and I got some time just one-on-one and you started sharing with me a story that just I went I, mean, I was mesmerized by the story to begin mm-hmm. with but part of the thing that kept going through my mind was I've known her for two years and I've never heard this mm-hmm. I've never I didn't know that she had walked through this because when I see you when I what I see is joy and what I see is worship and what I see is you just walking your life out and caring about people and and yet this was such a part of your history. And I know people mm-hmm. who um, who have things like this in their history, and it's what they wear kind of yeah. for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It's what they wear. And so I just wanted to talk so that you could tell your story mm-hmm. and then maybe give us some insight into how that has shaped you now. Because years have passed since the story, but I'm getting yeah. ahead. Okay, so you were raised in a Christian home, faithful parents who had raised you in the Word, you head off to college and pick up the story there. So I would say that probably up until that point, up until college, um, pretty smooth road, right? No crazy traumatic mm-hmm. events that, mm-hmm. that I can recall. Anyway, now parents might have other um, stories, but um, smooth sailing. Um, and But the first time being out on my own and really confronted with real life adult situations life. Mm-hmm. that are life altering mm-hmm. um, and that can rock your faith or strengthen your faith um, in a mighty way. Things that now when I look back, man, I was young, but I thought I was so old and (laughs) so wise at that time. Yes. So first few years of college, 
Um, you know, me trying to find myself, be my own person, do my own thing. Um, I even went as far as to join a church the first Sunday I was there because I knew that my dad would see that my membership letter had been transferred to another church. A little interject here that your dad was a pastor. Yes, my dad's a pastor. a pastor. Yes, my dad is still a pastor. So I knew the things that he would look for. Um, and, I, and I would go. I mean, that's not to say I didn't do that and then never step foot um, in the door of the church. But I do think I tried to push against the boundaries that um, I had been raised with mm-hmm. and and the mm-hmm. faith that I had I was challenging a little bit sure. which is normal for a young adult right to question and to and I kind of think necessary oh absolutely because at some point that faith must become your That's own I can't ride on the coattails of my parents mm-hmm. um, none of us can ride the coattails of anyone and so it had to become my own little did I know the way in which God would write that story um Right usually involves difficult things. Mm. It's not the mountaintop experiences normally that last. Right. It's those valleys that we walk through that make us who we are and then mm. give us the faith to sustain us mm. um, yep. the rest of our That's lives. Good. So first three years of college, me just doing my thing. Um, probably not very God-honoring, um, but just trying to do what I wanted to do. I did, though, in a series of events that now looking back was God-ordained and orchestrated, I ended up joining a church in a small town um, outside of where I was going to school because my dad had been the pastor there in the past, and I knew people there. So I joined the church, and they had me start teaching youth right away. Pretty crazy on their part, but they (laughs) had me begin teaching youth. To make a long story short, through meeting different people, um, I was made aware of a family um, whose daughter was 17 years old and had been fighting leukemia. Uh, Mm -hmm. for quite a while, Um, a rough battle, um, but just thought that I should meet her and her family. Mm -hmm. And so I did and instantly fell in love with all of them. It was like an instant connection that I can't even explain. It's a God connection. When God just puts those people in your path, you're supposed to meet. So we became friends very quickly. She was 17. I was 20, 21. Um, we would hang out all the time. They actually lived a couple hours from where I was, but on the weekends, if I didn't have to work, if she wasn't in town at the hospital having treatment, I would drive back and forth to hang out with her. I would stay with her some weekends when her parents needed to go away. Um, but things kind of started to deteriorate her health. Um, it was kind of infection after infection, viruses that they just couldn't ever get under control, bleeding that they just couldn't stop. And it was just taking a toll on her and her body. She had fought a very long, hard battle. I had gone up to see her on my lunch break. She was in the hospital again with a virus of some sort that they just couldn't um, quite get under control. And I got up to her room and her mom said, I'm going to let you two talk. And she left and shut the door. And I sat down next to Lauren and she just looked at me with those beautiful big eyes. And she mm-hmm. said, Stephanie, I've decided to quit treatment. She said, I'm just, I'm tired and I've fought. And she said, I'm tired of fighting and I'm ready to see my maker. Wow. Um, we had an amazing conversation. It's one of those, like if you were to drop a pin um, and you look back at your faith journey that really impacted me was that conversation one because I began to just share scripture with her that honestly I don't think I knew I had memorized it really with my own children shows me the importance of instilling scripture into your kids when they're little Mm -hmm. because his word will not return void because in that moment when I needed it the spirit brought to remembrance all the things that I needed to share and we just had a really beautiful and amazing conversation I don't even remember it being sad. I'm sure that we were sad, and I'm sure that there were tears shed, but I don't 
That's not I what don't know. I don't look back and think sad at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't the end. That was the beginning of the next part of her story. So she ended up going home and going home on hospice. <clears throat> and I got to be there the weekend that she passed. Um, spent a lot of time um, just hanging out, laying on her bed with her. And she asked me to sing at her funeral. She told me the song that she wanted me to sing, which was Shout to the Lord, which still, and now I look back and I'm like a 17 year old that wanted the song Shout to the Lord. I mean, that's just a worship song, like praising him at her funeral. Now having a 17 year old myself, I look back and I'm like, she was a baby, a baby, but with a faith of a giant um, that I don't know that I'd ever seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course I agreed that I would do it. I didn't know how in the world I could possibly do that, but I told her I absolutely would. So just got to be with her family and her brothers and sister and parents um, that weekend. And I was actually with her and in the room when she passed. Mm-hmm. Um, very difficult, but yet one of the holiest moments I've ever been a part of. Um, Say more about that. I think in that moment I realized we always consider it like what an honor to be there when someone's child is born. Like if somebody asks you to be there when their child's born, it's like, oh my gosh, like what a blessing. I can't believe you would ask me to do this. But yet when it's time for someone to die to us, that's scary. It's sad. It's, but I think in that moment I realized, I am trying to say this without tears, but that I got to be with her right before her eyes opened and see Jesus. Mm. Like that's the greatest honor that I think Mm. anyone could ever have. Like, I mean, I got to hold her hand as she was ushered into the very presence of Jesus. Like in that moment, there was no more pain. There was no more bleeding. There was no more hurt. Like she was perfect and made whole. Mm -hmm. And I got to be there for that. Again, a moment that I think I look back on and I'm still, not that, not that I want people to sign me up to be there when they pass, um, but that he would allow me to be a part of that. And at such a young age when I didn't, I didn't have a clue, you know, what I was doing. I was a baby myself. And I think for too long, we've considered this place our home and this place is not our home. Mm -hmm. Like we're not supposed Mm -hmm. to, we're supposed to long for heaven. Like that's where we belong. We're aliens. We're just, you know, traveling through this land. So to get to be there before she actually went home, that's a, that's a privilege. It's a special Um, thing. It's a very special thing. And I'm sure that in that moment, that's not exactly what I was thinking. Um, There was sadness. Do not, I mean. There's, there's sadness um, and death. That's I don't ever want to make light of that and make mm-hmm. it seem like that we weren't sad and we were just having a party. That was not it at all. I wanted her here selfishly. I still wish she were here. I think about her all the time and what she would be doing or how many kids she would have. Um, but to keep an eternal perspective is what gets you through and to know that God had her exactly where he wanted her. And she's in his presence. Like It doesn't get any better than that. So yes, now looking back and seeing I was 20 years old walking through that um, sort of blows my mind because in I'm sure before I went into that, I kind of thought I knew it all. Um, I think it's a natural progression, right? You're out on your own for the first time and you're mm-hmm. figuring out mm-hmm. who you are. And so you think you're pretty smart. Um, and God was just opening my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't have a clue about, but strengthening my faith also in a way that I had no clue he was doing. Um, getting to walk alongside this family through one of the most difficult experiences of their lives to this day mm-hmm. um, prepared me to walk through days that I didn't know would come mm-hmm. also in the future. 
So, well, for one, let me just ask you, are you still in touch with her family? Yes, I still talk to her mom. Um, it's still a goal of mine. She's never met any of my kiddos. So someday, Brene, someday we're, um, you're going to meet my kiddos. But yes, I talk to her all the time. And now when I look back, I have a 17-year-old right now. Mm. And as a 20-year-old, I loved her mother and I still do with everything in me. I don't ever think I gave it a second thought what she was walking through, right? Because I was right, you were I was 20 and I I think I was so engrossed in my own loss that I just wasn't even like thinking about it. I think about it all the time now. Wow. Having a child that age and a, and a child, 17, he's a child. Um the faith that she possessed and to watch God didn't just walk alongside her, even carry her. God had her wrapped up so unbelievably tight. She is such a woman of faith. Mm -hmm. And to walk through that with the grace that she did um, is, is mind-blowing, but that's what our God does, right? Like he, he carried her and he promises that he will when she had to let go of one of the most precious things in her life. She had the grace to let go because she knew who was taking her. Wow, that's really beautiful. They're just a precious family. As I listened to Stephanie talk, I was thinking that I don't know Brene, Lauren's mom, but I would bet she had no idea at the time the impact that her faith would have on the young people like Stephanie who were there and have remembered over the years. If you're suffering right now, reach out to people who have walked the road before you in faith. You're not alone. Next, Stephanie describes how the Lord helped her make peace when the answer to her prayer was no. Okay, so that was kind of the first big challenge to your faith. The first mm -hmm. time that you saw something happen that did not work out the way you wanted it to. Yep. You were probably praying for healing. Oh, absolutely. For absolutely. I feel like this is a 17-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. She cannot mm -hmm. be done. So at the point where you started to realize the answer to this prayer is no, that's mm -hmm. not my best. Yeah. Do you remember even how you got your mind around that? I think that he just slowly wrapped my mind around that. I don't think that it was something that I, I don't think that I woke up one day and was like, okay, like mm -hmm. this was all him. It's, it's all him could not have walked through that without him. Mm -hmm. I couldn't now I know there's, an, there's nothing from that point on I could have done without him. He's used that as a stepping stone for so many other things. Um, as the first rung on a ladder of where he wanted me to go. Um, and he just continues to use that and shows himself faithful each and every time. That moment of the answer is no, but I'm going to get right. you through this because what I have is better. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Um, I just think there have been one in that instance. Before that happened, I probably would have told someone oh, that's probably about one of the worst things that could have ever happened to me, right? That like, there's no way I could have been at that age that I could have been right beside someone when they died. Like that's not, no, mm -mm, right. not happening. Can't do it. Um, that, the, just the sheer thought of that scare me to death. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, also knowing I, there have been times that I've seen God you know, answer yes to things. And maybe I think up to that point, I'd mainly focused on when he had answered yes in the way that I wanted. This was a first definite, Stephanie, it's not what's going to happen. 
but I'm going to use this and this is much better than you could ever. My way is always better than your way. Did it make it easier in that moment? No. Do I wish she was still around? Absolutely. Absolutely. But God's writing a bigger story. Mm. And she got to play such a beautiful part in the faith journey of so many people. And I have built upon that time and time and time again. He steadies you. You sing. You all say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And then how are you? Of course, as with anyone that has suffered a loss, right? You kind of, you make it through the service, you make it through those days, and then the hard days come, right? Then the silence when you can't call them or the Mm. wanting to pick up the phone and they're not there. That's when the, you know. And so my parents, knowing, because they're hundreds of miles away, told me I needed to come home. They're like, just come home for a weekend. You just need to be home. Okay, so Stephanie starts making her way home for a weekend of rest and reset. But as he so often does, the Lord had an even longer, more meaningful detour in mind. (laughs) Honestly, I can't help but hear this next part of the story through the ears of a parent. And I can imagine that at the time, I might have thought that my kid was derailing our carefully laid plans for her. But then as the story unfolds, it becomes clear that her journey was in the hands of the one who writes the story of our lives. And he knew exactly where everyone needed to be and when they needed to be there. So as you listen to this next part, keep in mind that the little twists and turns in the road of your life, the ones that you don't necessarily welcome for yourselves or for those around you, they're there on purpose. And you can trust him to orchestrate the plan. Y'all never discount the little things, the changes of direction that you're not sure how to process. Trust the Lord to know how things should go. Listen in. So I got online and booked a flight to come home. And as I was online, I'm just scrolling mindlessly. And it said, now hiring. And I don't know. I clicked on it and was like, they were hiring. They were hiring flight attendants. And I was scared to death to fly. But I was like, why not? Like... I don't know. What else do I have to do in this moment? I'll just apply. Like nobody gets hired with them the first time. No. So I just applied, not thinking anything of it. And I went home for the weekend and it was an amazing weekend. Um, just refreshing. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you just need your mom and daddy. Yeah. And um, flew home. And about a week or two later, I can't remember how much time had passed. My brother was living with me at the time, going to school at Tech too. And I was at a friend's house and he comes over and he like runs through their door, doesn't even knock. And he's like, you should probably look at this. He's like, I checked the mail, but I never gave it to you. He's like, I held it up to a light. And he's like, I think you have an interview tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, seriously? Really? So sure enough, there was a flight that was booked for the next day for me to go for an interview. And of course, I'm like, I don't even know what to wear. I don't know what to. So a friend I was with was like, here, I have this suit. You can wear, like, who wears suits anymore? But here's a suit. Anyway, they get me all, yeah, get me all fixed up. And I fly because I was like, hey, it's a free flight. And I'm going to go to Dallas for the day. Why not? So I went. Probably why I did good at the interview is because I didn't care. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not. I still have 13 hours. Yes, let's count them. Only 13 hours to graduate. I'm not taking this job. Like, but it's just an adventure. Mm -hmm. By the time I landed back in Lubbock, I already had a voicemail offering me the job. And so I kind of thought about it. And the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, that kind of sounds fun. Like, I don't, maybe, but no, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And I thought, I'm going to call my grandparents. Um, My dad's parents, uh, my grandma was a professor. My dad was, my grandpa was a chemical engineer, 
for DuPont. And I thought they're going to talk some sense into me. Like if anybody is going to be like, no, you must finish this education right now. It will be them. And then I can get over it and move on. Right. And so I called them. And of course, as my grandparents always did, they're like, hold on, let me get your grandma on the phone too. And one grabs a phone in one bedroom and the one gets the other in the living room. So we're all on the phone. And so I just was basically like, okay, y'all take a deep breath. I have a crazy thing. I just need to know what you think I should do. Um, I'd always seen my dad go to them when he needed to make big decisions. He always called them and ran things by them. And so I thought, well, if dad needs advice from them, like this is for I'm sure go who them. I need to go to. And I explained it all and they told me I should take it. And I was like, what? Like that. <laughs> oh my God. They're whoa. encouraging the I, I know. And I'm sort of panicked because that's not at all what I expected at all. So I thought, well. I mean, this has to be what I'm supposed to do. There's no way they would have said, right. These yes. These are the wisest people I yes. know. Yes, and, and they would, saying. this goes against everything they stand for, me quitting with 13 hours left to be a flight attendant. Like, this makes no sense. So the next day, I finally mustered up the strength to call my parents. That one didn't go as well, but it eventually <laughs> was okay. And so they came and um, actually moved me and my brother home. So we all came home. My poor parents had just sold their house. And we're living in an apartment because they were building a one-story. In their mind, they're like, let's downsize. Two of the kids are gone. The other one's graduating this year. Right. Like, this is our season. This is our time. One story, no stairs. Yes. And all five of us are crammed into this apartment. Um, my mom starts having panic attacks. Um, and not like my mom at all. She's the most cool, calm, collected. Nothing bothers mm-hmm. her. Um, but it was weird enough for her that she went to her doctor. Where the rest of us might be going, there are five young adults, or three young adults and two parents shoved in an apartment. Oh, I would have. We're all a little edgy. Oh, I would have. She knew that that's not who she was. Yes. I mean, this was different. That would have probably been normal for me. (laughs) But um, for her, totally abnormal. And so she went to her doctor, and he's just kind of talking through some things. And in what I also consider a God moment, he was like, you know... Let's just do an ultrasound. And the reason he was going to do an ultrasound was for something completely different. Like he had this whole other idea as to why he wasn't looking for anything bad. And the doctor had told him that day doing the ultrasound, I'm 99% positive this is cancer. And it felt like the floor fell out. Mm -hmm. I thought I just left Lubbock because I just watched my friend die. I've quit school with 13 hours left to come home and live in, and there's no way my mom can have cancer. Right. Like that doesn't happen. Like that's not how this should happen in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like God, no. Mm -hmm. So we go back to the apartment that night. And the first thing I actually did was I'm going to call my best friend from high school. She was in the military stationed in San Antonio. And I thought, I just have to call her. I just need to talk to somebody. And so she answers the phone. She says, hello, and she's crying. So I can't even get out why I'm calling before she starts telling me that very day she was diagnosed with peritoneal cancer, stage three. They had given her 30% chance of making it a year. The same day, your mom? The same day. And I I had no idea that she was even at the doctor for anything. So that, like, blindsided me. I mean, I didn't know she was having any testing. No clue. I was distraught. It's one of those ugly, can't catch your breath cries, just completely devastated. Um, But God, always my favorite two words ever to put together because he showed himself time and time again, even in those situations. That time, the answer to both of my prayers was yes, they were both healed. 
Um, they are both still around and with us. But God still used that and built upon that, you know, sometimes my answer looks like what you wanted, but I'm still going to do something different with it than you ever um, expected. So as you and I have talked about this, the, um, the answer to your prayer at that time mm-hmm. was, yes, mm-hmm. I'm healing your mother. But there was another gentleman in your church mm-hmm. that didn't get that answer. No. There was another, there was a gentleman in my dad's church that was diagnosed with cancer around the same time as my mom. Um, we, at this point, realized that my mom was going to be okay. Um, they had caught it early, um, and she was going to be okay. He, however, was not going to be, and he was sent home on hospice. My dad um, went over to talk to him, and he was taking him a, a tape. That shows you how old I am now. Took him a tape of songs he wanted me to sing that he could play. And um, when he was over there, he said that dad says it was one of the hardest conversations he's ever had to have as a pastor. But he said he asked my dad, he said, why has Jan been healed and I'm not? And dad said he can so vividly remember looking up and he had this painting on the wall. Dad can remember exactly what it looked like. And he said that as he looked at that painting, he told him, you know, we look at that painting right there and it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like that painting has such meaning to you. Mm -hmm. Like you, you love it. Um, he said, but if we zoom in to that and look at it up close, it's just a bunch of kind of ugly brush strokes that don't make any kind of sense. He said, that's what's happening right now. But God is painting this beautiful picture. I don't understand why, but he knows what he's doing. Right. He knows exactly what he's doing. And we're just too close in we're the too moment. Close. We don't have his view. Exactly. I bet somebody needed to hear that today. Is it you? If you're looking at your life and you're thinking, there is not one beautiful thing about this right now, take heart. When we are pressed up against the hard thing on this side of glory, we are just too close to the painting to understand how each brush stroke is being placed precisely where it needs to go. It might look ugly right now. I mean, like it might look really ugly right now, but if you will trust the Lord, that is not the way it will end up. So just keep going. He will give you what you need when you need it. In fact, in the next part of our talk came the discussion of grace for the moment. And then how as one thing led to another, her journey of family and faith has continued to today. I asked Stephanie how that cancer season with her mom and dad affected her. And this is what she had to say. I've heard my dad say over and over and over growing up that God gives dying grace for dying days. And that doesn't just apply to somebody dying. It's Mm -hmm. more of just a, when you need it, he will supply it. There's no need for him to give it until you need it. There's no, there's, he's not going to like bank it up ahead of time, but like he's faithful. He always comes through. I mean, that's where our faith comes in, Mm -hmm. right? Is knowing it's believing in something that I can't see. It's knowing just in my mind that even though I don't see a way and I don't know how this is possible, he will come through not a minute too soon or a minute too late. He's going to come through when I need it at that exact moment. And he did that. He absolutely did that. I love that. Okay. So next rung of the ladder. So next rung of the ladder, which and isn't as, you know, I got to move away from the cancer narrative for a while. Um, but Troy and I, when I met my husband, um, we had this grand plan, right? Like two kids, like the all American dream. What was it? 2.5 kids or whatever, which cracks <laughs> me up. But 
we were going to move that down to just two. So two kids and I had it all planned out. I mean, and it was, I was so specific. It was two boys. Like you, I was going to have two boys. Yes. And the first <laughs> one, I already knew what his name was going to be because it was my maiden name. And like they were going to play football and I was going to be the annoying football mom, which that part has come true. But um, I had this grand plan. Even my dad did our premarital counseling with us. And he even asked, have you talked about how many kids you want? We were like, yeah, two. Like, two. right? Two. Like easy? Two? Final answer. That's it. We're just going to have two. God so changed everything about that um we now have six and god has used each one of those kids mm. to just stretch me and to mold me more into the image of his son because it's pushed me beyond myself mm. i am not a super mom at all i am not some like i'm not gonna win like some super mom award I don't it's know. you gotta <laughs> think about whose perspective you're looking at but, well okay. Because, and it's because I know me, right? Like I know me and I know my thoughts and I know me I think you're pretty amazing. on a day-to-day -day basis. It's him. Like he's done it and he's had a bigger plan for my family. But it stretched me. If my college self looked at me now, <laughs> oh girl, she, she would think I was officially off of my rocker. Like, I mean, as we're sitting here talking, I could look out the window and see my ugly white big old 12 person van. <laughs> But I drive around, that is like, was my worst nightmare. Like, to drive one of those, that's like an Amazon delivery vehicle. And it has my kids in it. But now, I wouldn't trade a single moment. But that was not my plan. Um, I was pregnant with kiddo number four when I felt that God was calling was us to adopt. To that. Yeah. I'll be honest, thought it was pregnancy hormones. I thought that I was just like, bring me all the babies. Like, but you and Troy prayed through it for how long? We prayed through it. I prayed through it alone for a year before I even told him. Really? Because I really thought that I'm just... This is me nesting. Yeah. Or just thought that I was crazy. <laughs> because a little backstory, my dad, my dad's parents um, adopted my dad's sister when she was nine years old. My dad was already in college. And when I look back now, it's amazing that they even did that in the first place. But it was a rough story. Mm. Um, she had such a difficult, hard life before my grandparents got her. Unfortunately, she did end up committing suicide on her 18th birthday. And um, so it was just kind of a dark place in our family that didn't really get talked about. Mm -hmm. And so the only time I ever heard stories about it was when I was little and I would lay in the bedroom. I slept in my grandparents' house and I would stick my ear to the door and I would stay up to listen to my dad and my grandpa talk about her wow. and tell stories. And so that's what you knew of adoption. That's what I knew. And the stories they told were not good. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't go in with rose colored glasses on at all. Mm -hmm. um, but when I knew that God was kept nudging my heart that way, and I told Troy, we prayed about it together for a year. I mean, this, this is two years of praying about if this, what we should do. And I remember it was a Sunday afternoon and we were um, watching TV and Troy said, let's turn it off and pray. So we did, and we prayed again. And the minute he said amen, he said, it's time to step out of the boat. It's time to do it. And I was like, okay. So the next day, we called an agency. And, and you ended up adopting from Russia. From Russia. And that process is long. Very long and daunting. Three visits. Yep, three separate trips over to Russia. Um, the second trip, 
is the one that seems most roller coastery to me from the outside looking yeah. in. Because when I hear this story, I just, it, I can't even imagine mm-hmm. um, the highs and the lows. So yeah. describe that a little bit. So um, the process at the time to adopt from Russia was, yes, like we said, the three separate trips. The first time was to go over and to meet your child for the first time and spend time and do all those things. Mm-hmm. And then you would go back home, redo all the paperwork and wait on a court date. You had to go before a Russian judge in the courtroom um, for them to, and they had to question you. So we went back for our court date, had to get an interpreter, of course. Um, so we met with her, saw all her certifications. Um, so we take her with us to court. And I had no clue what we were in for, and it's probably a good thing. It was probably very good in that moment that I didn't have a clue what was going to come or what it was like. But yes, it felt like we were on trial. Like I started feeling like, oh my word, have we done something wrong? Like mm-hmm. I feel like they're like mm-hmm. after us. Mm-hmm. It ended up taking about four hours, four, four and a half hours. Mainly them questioning Troy. There was a judge and a prosecutor. Um, Troy, most all the questions were sent towards him. But the worst part was that very quickly, the judge would ask a question. Our interpreter would then um, translate it to English for Troy. Troy would respond. And I knew after he responded the first time, there was just a silence. And I was like, okay, like translate. Come on, let's do this. (laughs) And she looked at me and she said to me in English, she said, I don't know what he just said. What Troy just said. Yes. And I was like, what, what do you mean you don't know what he just said? Like, just translate. So then in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, maybe, all right, let me, tra- like, let me think kindergarten language here, mm-hmm. like basic English. So I try to rephrase what he said for her. I'm like patting her leg and holding her hand. Like, you can do this. Just think, you know, just, yeah, just think, right. please. This went on forever. Um, literally, it seemed forever. Ask a question. It would take her forever to think about trying to figure out what Troy was saying, me rewording what Troy would say, like back and forth. And the questions just kept, I felt like they got harder and they became attacking us more. Like I just, all I could think of is this is not, this is not going to go well. And, and, and also in that moment, you're thinking that the fate of your little boy is being held by whether or not this woman can speak the right Mm -hmm. words. Yeah, absolutely. and, And represent you. Well, right. And she's not. No, not at all. And all I can, all I see in my mind is his face, right? Like, and that he's never going home with us because Mm. she doesn't understand what Troy is saying. I'm like, I don't even know how this is possible. Like we've had conversation after conversation with her in English. Why does she not understand him? So this went on, as I said, for between four and five hours. And then the judge exited and said he would come back with his verdict. And I do distinctly remember, though, that during that time of sitting there, I just kept hearing in my spirit over and over, you need only be still. I will fight for you. Wow. And of course, I'm thinking, I know this can go either way. Like, I I don't know how this, I know how I want this to turn out, but I don't know what's going to happen here at all. So we went out and seemed like we waited forever. I honestly have no clue how long we waited. I, I have no idea. It could have been 10 minutes and it may have been 10 hours. It seemed like an eternity. We went back into the courtroom, and of course, he uttered the most beautiful words in Russian I'd ever heard. Da, he said yes. And in a turn of events that I never saw coming, he then begins to speak to us in English. The judge understood English the entire time. He knew what Troy was saying. He heard what I was saying. That whole four and a half hours, while I was fretting and trying to reword what Troy, he he knew all along. Absolutely my favorite part of that story. Because it really does, it just, I mean, for one thing, there's just so much tension, but it is such, it, it's just an analogy for the way we live our lives. Like mm-hmm. 
we think that in order to have the right outcome, we need to have the right words. God sees everything. He understands everybody's heart language. Mm-hmm. He's, he knows exactly mm-hmm. what's going on. And so just the thought of you sitting in that courtroom and him then opening his mouth and saying, yes, and furthermore, I have I have known everything that was going on through this entire situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just makes me smile because mm-hmm. I think that that's the way God is with us. Oh, yes. Like that is such a, and of course, in the moment, I'm not thinking that. I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, you spoke English this whole time. Like <laughs> I could have just saved, but is that also not now that I look back, right? Like I could have saved myself four and a half hours of worry. Like I worried straight for four and a half hours, plus however long we waited right, outside. Right. Had I known that he knew all along, well, I know that my heavenly father knows. Mm-hmm. I know that he knows. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry. He knows. It's where your mind is focused, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So they brought home their new little son. He had just turned two years old. And while they weren't expecting easy, they also couldn't have known that health issues for that little guy would require that Stephanie trust the Lord with the full weight of her fear on the next rung of the ladder of her faith. As you listen, notice how Stephanie acknowledges her emotions and fears without letting them sit on the throne of her heart. That belongs to God. When we brought him home, we knew um, some health issues that we would have um, that we were going to have to deal with. So we already had doctors and things lined up, Mm -hmm. you know, when we got home. Mm -hmm. So, um, and a lot of it was preventative stuff, right? But um, we quickly, when we got home, had to go to an infectious disease doctor who was one of the most brilliant minds I've ever encountered that just knew things about what the exact area he was from and ways to treat him. And it was, so it was, yeah. of course, God placing her in our path, in, in our path. But because of treatments with him and things we we're having to do, he was having to have his blood work done. His blood was drawn every month. And so we would go in every month, draw the blood, and then go back for a doctor's appointment about month, maybe five or six of him being home. And during this time, it was just a lot of difficult mm-hmm. health issues and things for him to work through and me to work through. Did he speak English? I mean, they told us he spoke no English, but Troy, before we got him home, had already taught him the alphabet and two English songs. Like, oh, wow. he is just, he is so incredibly smart. smart. His little brain just blows it blows my mind all the time so we were at one of our infectious disease appointments and she walked into the room and she said um i'm gonna need to send you to another doctor she said um i've been watching his blood work and i just don't like the way it's trending um she said so i don't exactly know what it is but let's just get it checked out and i thought oh oh okay right like it's just another doctor we're gonna go to um and in my mind we're just gonna have to take another pill or something and right, fix this right. but so she sends me with the paperwork and the doctor's name and all that and so we go home and I called Troy on the way and I was like she wants us to see another doctor she's not she doesn't like the way his blood numbers look he's like well, what kind of doctor is it and I was like I don't know I hadn't even looked it up yet so I got home and googled it and it was a, a children's hematologist and oncologist oh you just see the word oncology mm-hmm. and like Mm-hmm. I already felt like I couldn't breathe. And pediatric oncology. Yes, because in my mind, I was like, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. here we go again. Wow. And so then, of course, what like any good mom, I started Googling <laughs> every one of his numbers because I had a printout, you know, and all that would come up was leukemia. And so we walk in that first appointment, <laughs> and 
I is a lovely man. I mean, he was a nice man, but I told him, I said, I never wanted to see your face in my whole life. Like I would have been happy to never meet you. I'm sure you're lovely and your family loves you and you're a nice guy, but I never, I don't want to sit here and I don't even want to be here. Right. And he said, I know, I know. He's like, but we're going to get to the bottom of this. And so we were with him for months. Where was your, where was the focus of your prayer at that point? I think at this point with, with him, because things had just been so, um, for any adoptive parents out there, you just know it's a, it's hard. I will never sugarcoat it ever and tell anybody that it's easy. It is not. It's the most difficult road I have ever walked, even saying walking these roads with people with cancer and um, losing loved ones. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest road I have ever, mm-hmm. ever walked. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that's refined me more than anything else. I mean, if you ask my husband, he always says, a little two-year-old boy refined us more than anything that could have ever happened in our lives. So I think at that moment, it was more, I wanted answers. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want, we were so in the depths of hard mm-hmm. that I just wanted, I wanted answers. I wanted it to be okay, but I think I just wanted, I needed, I wanted answers. I want God, I wanted God to just give us clarity to know what to do. Because we were just, we were in a valley. And, um, and yet it was months. Before yeah. you got mm-hmm. answers. Yes. Yeah. It was months. And even at that, we didn't necessarily get answers. We got, your child doesn't have leukemia. We're not exactly sure um, why his blood counts are off. That's one of those. Also, as an adoptive parent, when you don't have history, mm-hmm. you just is a whole lot of I don't know. So you're in the valley. You're pressed against the hard thing. And you're given I don't knows. And yet, I look at you and I watch you walk your daily life and you do it with joy and I'm just wondering if those things made their marks on you they have absolutely made their marks on me um and in amazing ways and I think that also sometimes Satan wants to use them as well Mm -hmm. um and that's when I have to listen and stand on the promises of God and not let the fear creep in right um there's so many things to be fearful of and that is what the enemy I think wants to use in us more than anything else, because then we're not trusting God. We're right. not standing on his promises. When I know I've seen with my own eyes, God be faithful. Mm-hmm. I've watched, I've seen mountains moved. Mm-hmm. I have seen things happen. There's no explanation, but God. Um, but it's made me who I am. Um, you always hear people say, I've heard of people that have walked through cancer, right? And they say, I would never change it. I would never go back and not have mm-hmm. had cancer. Mm-hmm. I've and, said that. Yeah, and you and I can I can hear you say that and think, how do you say that? But then at the same time, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change one bit of what I've walked through. I wouldn't be sitting here today. We wouldn't be talking. We wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't have that precious boy in my home, even though still to this day is hard. Mm-hmm. It's so very hard. I wouldn't change a bit of it. When he jumps down the stairs and calls me mama, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the tears. I wouldn't change the angst. I wouldn't, um, but God's shown me more of himself and drawn me closer to him because I've realized I can't do any of this on my own. I can't love him enough. I can't walk close enough with a person. I can't anything. He has to do it. And when I let him do it, then my faith increases. Amen. And this is why I love talking to you. (laughs) It is. You point me back to Jesus. 
And as we finished our conversation, we ended with these three questions. They were just quick, whatever pops into your mind kind of questions. And they're actually the same three questions that I'd like to end every Barefoot Courage interview with. So um, there's probably a catchy name for this segment, but I haven't thought of it yet. So if you come up with something, go to barefootcourage.com and you can communicate with me there through email. You can subscribe to our email list so that every time there's a new podcast, it comes straight to your inbox. But in the meantime, here are the final thoughts from my conversation with Stephanie. I have three questions that I want to ask you. Oh, great. And I just want you to okay. just throw out the first answer that comes to your mind, okay? Well, that's a scary thought. Okay. <laughs> no, you're good. Okay. When's the last time you got goosebumps? Actually, the last time I got goosebumps was at football camp last <laughs> week, which seems ridiculous, right? Are you playing football? No. Okay. Yes, I'm a quarterback. No. <laughs> Both of my boys play football. And um, I ended up having to go to football camp last week, and I ended up having to go and help. Not on my radar, not something I wanted to do. Um, but I watched those boys encourage each other to do hard things, extremely hard things. And it did. It gave me goosebumps. One, because I thought, one, you're proud of your kids, right? You're like, right. I mean... Look, at, look at my kid doing hard stuff and look at my child encouraging someone else to do really hard things. Like look at these boys coming from every race, every culture, every socioeconomic background. I mean, you've got the superstar athletes and you've got the ones that, you know, aren't, you know, aren't going to play very much. Right. But they're both encouraging each other. And I think I got the goosebumps because I was like, if they can do this in football, how much more should we be doing this in our Christian walk? Like it was just a, I think God just gave me a picture in that moment of what it should be like. And to just see your kids do things like that. I know I'm probably the only woman in the world that gets goosebumps from football. (laughs) Good answer. Tell me something that you said you would never do and then you did. My husband tells me to quit saying never because that's what we always do. (laughs) I would never homeschool my kids and I'm homeschooling my kids. I would never go to Russia and my child is from Russia. I never wanted to go to China, and I went to China. I feel like he... The list is long. The list is long, but I feel like that's how he pushes me. Love it. Love it. Okay, what's a Christian catchphrase or buzzword, something that tends to be thrown around that either drives you crazy or that you just think needs clarification? You are enough. Mm. I'm got a house full of teenagers and I just it it irritates me to death because they're not enough in and of themselves and I feel like God is enough he is enough he can do it through them he can do anything but I feel like putting that onto a kid's shoulders or a teenager's shoulders you're enough you've Mm -hmm. got enough like pull up your bootstraps and do it you can't setting them up for failure you can't you're Mm -hmm. setting them up for failure and it puts us in a place where we are with kids so self-esteem in the dumps like feeling like they're not good enough they're not smart enough because we're not pointing them to the one that is enough so good that's something that not just teenagers oh I mean, yeah i as a mom Absolutely. or as a friend as mm-hmm. a, a that's how i feel mm-hmm. like if i start to think that i'm enough i am setting myself up for a fall yeah i just i was just telling my husband last week i said raising these kiddos 
I said, sometimes I think, I was like, someday somebody is going to figure out that I do not know what I'm doing. They're going to come get these people because they know she does not know what she's doing. Because I don't, in and of myself, right? Like fly by the seat of my pants trying to figure out. But it's what God's called me to do. And he will equip me in that moment. Because perish the thought that I try to do this on my own. Thank you for doing this with me. Oh, you're so welcome.